Uh, there's a few new faces. I haven't met everybody, so I will introduce myself, even though some of you know me well. Uh, my name is Paul Morgan, and I've been a part of this church for about 14 years. Um, I teach social studies at a local high school, and uh, I'm sure all of you have already met my beautiful, charming, diplomatic, intelligent wife, because uh, she's just gregarious and meets everybody. And uh, You might be thinking to yourself, how did he convince her to marry him? And I wonder the same thing. <laughs> but uh, she stuck with me, so that's all that matters. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of fun to be introduced by my wife. That was nice. Um, I was originally born in the United States. I hail from the great state of Oregon, the only state with a two-sided flag, and the most armed shootouts with the federal government over land rights. Yeah, so we are the, uh, still the Wild West. Everybody thinks, uh, when they think Oregon, they think Portland, but uh, most of Oregon is not like Portland. So, uh, yeah, I love my state, but as Tara mentioned, you know, God called us here uh, many years ago, and part of the reason God called us here is he called us into a family. And so we're just into whatever family's doing, this family. And so um, I wouldn't have, you know, Vancouver wouldn't have been my first choice, uh, but uh, there's something greater going on than where you live, right? There's someone you honor and follow more than your desires. And so that's why we're in this church, because we love this church and the people who lead it and the people that are in it. And we feel called to the city, not because it's our first choice, but because it's what God has said to do. So uh, I'd like to invite you into that before I start my sermon. Um, also, uh, what we've been going through is a series in Samuel, and we started off looking at King Saul, and now we're looking at King David. And whenever we do Old Testament series, I recall my time in kids' church, uh, was raised in the church, and I remember the stories about uh, these figures. And the stories that you tell a five-year-old about Samson are kind of glossied overt, simplified, like, uh, you know, okay, so I did tell five-year-olds that he ripped a lion in part with his bare hands, because that's just cool. But uh, you, you don't tell five-year-olds that um, he had an unrighteous sexual appetite, had his eyes gouged out, and killed his enemies by committing suicide, right? You know, you just, <laughs> you leave that out, because it's not helpful for a five-year-old. So uh, what you do, though, instinctively, is when you hear the kind of dressed-up version of the Old Testament figure is you kind of idolize them. So, you know, I idolized Samson for a long time. So like I said, ripped a lion in half, set a field on fire with some foxes and torches, killed his enemies with a jawbone. I thought, I don't grow up, I want to be like Samson. Uh, and then I heard the, read the whole story, and I was like, I do not want to be like Samson. <laughs> and then you go, oh, shoot, I am Samson. And then you just read through the whole testament and you go, oh, sick. I am Gideon. I am Saul. I am all these people. And you go, Jesus is the true King David. Jesus is Abraham fulfilled. Jesus is the best Israelite. Jesus is the best disciple, not me. So that's what's really helpful about these Old Testament stories. So we're at, we're at the point in King David's life where. Uh, it's not looking so great to be King David. 
Uh, the story started strong. Uh, shepherd boy conquers the giant, cuts his head off, defends his nation, presents it to the king, marries the king's daughter, becomes general of all the armies. That sounds great. I mean, like, that's, you know, you go, yeah, King David's the man. And, uh, and then now his life is continuing, and Jonathan tells us that uh, an evil spirit comes over Saul, and that uh, now Saul's trying to kill David, and we find David on the run. And we go, ah, I don't know if I want to be like David anymore. But there's, a, there's something going on in David's life uh, that is very relatable for you and I, far more relatable than cutting off the head of your enemy and marrying a king's daughter. There's something going on in David uh, that is worth emulating. David isn't worth emulating. David just points us to Jesus. He points us to God. But there's something going on in David's life that is worth emulating. That's what I want to talk about today is, is David is on the run. He's living in fearful times, and he's trying to find refuge. David's looking for refuge in fearful times. And I want to say to you that refuge is found in covenant relationship. Refuge is found in covenant relationship. David did not turn to military might. David did not accuse Saul for his sins. David did not attempt a coup. David did something else, far more difficult. And he battled, after battling the giant in the field, he battled something in his heart. And that's, that's something you and I need to settle, that refuge is found in covenant relationship. So the question is, is what is covenant relationship? So what I want to do very briefly is just with quick bullet points, give you a snapshot from chapter 19 to 22, because those are the passages I'm covering. And uh, you're going to get an email for your discussion groups where you can go over this material, and I've given you smaller sections. But let me give you just a quick snapshot as to why David's on the run, like the constant fear he's living in. So chapter 19, an evil spirit falls on Saul and he tries to kill David. David escapes. Then David flees to his home. Saul follows him there. David's wife, Saul's daughter, deceives Saul and his men and David escapes. Uh, Then um, David goes and finds Samuel. And then Saul sends some men to follow him to Samuel. And then David narrowly escapes. Then he goes to meet a field, into a field to meet Jonathan, his best friend. And they devise a test to test Saul's anger. Jonathan tests Saul. Yep, my dad's trying to kill you. He warns David. David slips away. Chapter 21, David goes to the town of Nob. He meets a priest. The priest priest provides food and refuge for him and his men. Um, Then he leaves for the king of Gath. But the king of Gath recognizes David, and they sing that familiar song, David is, Saul is slain as thousands, but David is ten thousands. And so David goes, shoot, they're going to recognize me. I don't want Saul to follow me. So he pretends to be insane. Like, he pretends like he's gone crazy. Right? The next king of Israel is running for his life, and he pretends to be crazy. And the king's going, who is this madman? Send him out of here. Okay, then he goes to Adullam in a cave. He meets his family in a cave because he's worried that Saul will kill his family. Then the king of Moab takes care of his family. But then David leaves for a stronghold. And then a prophet comes and says, sorry, Saul's going to find you here. You've got to leave and go to Judah. So he leaves for Judah by traveling through a really big forest. Uh, then Saul learns about David's whereabouts, kills the priest and all his family who gave him harbor and refuge. 
The priest defends David's honor. Only one of the priest's son, Abiathar, survives, catches up with David on his journey, and says, Saul has killed my entire town and my entire family. What do I do? So this is where we find David. You want to be like David, right? So uh, he's on the run. The next king of Israel, God's chosen, is on the run for his life. David's playing the harp, and Saul throws a spear and tries to pin him against the wall. This is not some sort of like existential crisis, who am I God? This is I am running for my life, and I'm worried for my family, and Saul keeps finding me. But what's interesting about David's journey is... uh, the uh, response or the people that he goes, not the places. It's his heart motive, and it's the people that stands out, not his tactic, not his uh, ideas or his strategies. He doesn't, he doesn't get his best generals together and think, how do we survive this out? That's not what he does. So I want to look at three instances in this entire journey where David finds refuge in covenant relationship. Three instances where this happens. So the first one is in, if you want to follow along, 1 Samuel 19, 20 to 24. Here's what it says. So he, Saul, sent men to capture him, David. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel, standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came over Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they too prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great uh, cistern, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? He said, they're over in Ramah. And so he went there himself, but the Spirit of God overcame Saul, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all the day and night, and the people say, is Saul among the prophets? So, uh, David's on the run. He's the general of all the armies. He's the next king of Israel, and he's running for his life because an evil spirit has come over Saul, and Saul is jealous. And David's first response is to go to Samuel. His first response is to go to a priest. So, the guy that used a sword to cut off Goliath's head after killing him with a stone who grew up fighting lions and bears. His first move is to go to a priest. This is profound. What is David doing? He goes to Samuel and he submits himself to Samuel and the priests and he says, protect me from Saul. And they do. They huddle around him and they prophesy over him. Saul learns of this so Saul sends men to go and take David by physical force. And each one of those men end up prophesying over David too. And even Saul himself ends up prophesying over David. What's going on? David's first point of refuge is his relationship with God. His covenant relationship. He wants to honor the God. This is why he's a man after God's own heart. It's his first stop for refuge is uh, his God, his king. And he goes to the priests and he asks for God's covering. And here is the amazing power about God's refuge. Is even your enemies bear witness to the promises of God in your life. Isn't that powerful? 
messengers, even King Saul himself, the guy who's trying to pin you to a wall with a spear, strips naked in the presence of the priest that has rejected him as the leader of Israel and prophesies over David as the next king of Israel. That's refuge you can't find anywhere else. That's the power of God. That's David's first stop. Is he looks for refuge in his covenant relationship with the Lord. To honor God and honor God's people. He doesn't fight Saul. He doesn't insult Saul. He doesn't try to kill Saul. He runs to God. And he submits himself to God's people and God's leaders and says, protect me. Protect me, O God. And you can hear that when you read the Psalms. I was really tempted to, to, I found the Psalms that David wrote during this time. I just don't think there was a, it would have been too long. But you can, you can hear him crying out for God to save him during this time while he's on the run. His first stop is God. And that's the power of God's refuge is that your enemies bear witness to God's promise in your life. Why? Because David settled in his heart, I will honor God first. That was the courage that gave him to fight Goliath. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dishonors, dishonors my God and my nation? How dare he? Is this just pure hubris in a young man? No, he has a strong sense of honor, first and foremost, to his God. It's the same God he runs to for refuge. This is the first stop in David's journey. It's absolutely powerful. Um, the other thing to note here, too, is uh, this moment is kind of a throwback to uh, Saul's moment. Before Saul became king, he was told to go up onto a mountain and to prophesy. And God's prophets came around him, and he prophesied. And people then, too, said, is Saul among the prophets? Afterwards, Saul had his coronation. His, uh, he was made king. And in the moment right after, uh, where is Saul to be found? He's hiding. And they have to drag him out of hiding and say to Israel, here is your next king. Saul was the strongest, the tallest, the bravest, handsome, like outwardly the obvious choice, but in his heart he did not honor God. Saul feared man. He did not fear God. So David's having a similar moment. He's gone up into a hill. He's met the priests. They're prophesying over him. He's going to be king, but the heart is completely different. The heart is to honor God. Secondly, and this comes in two parts, so we're jumping around a little bit. So we're back to 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4. And David runs back and he finds Jonathan. So 18, 1 to 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, uh, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. <clears throat> so again, sorry I'm jumping around, but David, David goes back, and David makes a second vow with Jonathan. 
What I just read to you was the first. So there's a vow in chapter 18 that Jonathan makes to David. There's a vow in chapter 19. So after running to Samuel, he runs to Jonathan. So he runs to God for refuge, and then he runs to a friend. But this is no ordinary friend. I'm referencing both vows because it's important to know that Jonathan and David had a covenant relationship. And we know this uh, because of the verses I just read. So let me set the stage for their relationship. It's Jonathan's idea that the greatest warrior of Israel fight the greatest warrior of the Philistines. This is Jonathan's courageous idea. And the, the Bible tells us that Jonathan was a honoring, faith-filled, courageous man. So he sets the stage. David then is the uh, humble warrior of Israel that defends the nation. So Jonathan sets up the premise. David steps in. And this does something to their hearts. It ties them together. It says they have the same spirit. And this is really powerful because after David defeats Goliath and after he submits to the, head, the head to the king and he marries her daughter and becomes the general of the whole army, Jonathan comes up to David and it says he made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. What's going on here? We know that David is a Christ-like figure. He's pointing us towards a better king. Jonathan is supposed to be the next king. His dad, Saul, is king. It makes sense that Jonathan would be too. But Jonathan has the same spirit of David, meaning they both honor God first in their heart. They don't fear men, they fear God. And Jonathan can see that God has chosen David. And what's Jonathan's response? Is it envy, bitterness, competition? No. No, he gets on his knees. And he says, I see what God's doing. God has anointed you king. In brackets, not me. Come on, look at that humility. Look at that humility. By lineage, the next king of Israel bows to God's chosen, a nobody farmer who defeats Goliath. But they have the same spirit because they both honored God. And Jonathan hands over his tunic, he hands over his sword, he hands over his bow. That's not just a symbolic gesture of his submission to David as king, but it's Jonathan saying, you are now my protector. Because I honor God, and because you honor God, I honor and submit to you. You protected me, I submit to you. I come under your protection. And it binds them into this powerful, powerful covenant relationship. Another thing to note, prior to the battle with Goliath, David did not take Saul's armor. Isn't that interesting? David did not take Saul's armor, but he did receive Jonathan's. So David is the Christ-like figure, but these are both two men who honor God in their hearts and have a covenant relationship, and now a vow has been made. And David, honoring God, does not wear the armor of a fearful king. He wears the armor of a humble servant. Right? That says something about Jonathan's heart. That says something about David's heart. This is the thing that's going on that gives David refuge in fearful times. It's not strategy. It's not weapons. It's covenant relationship. 
first with God, then with each other. There's a second vow to be made in the next chapter over. Uh, this is when David comes back from meeting with Samuel, the priest, after prophesying. And uh, Saul is not quite convinced. Samuel, uh, Jonathan's not quite convinced that his dad, Saul, is trying to kill David. So they devise a test. We'll go to a festival. My dad will notice your absence. And then when he says you're not there, I'll explain that you wanted to celebrate and, and sacrifice animals with your family in Bethlehem. And then we'll see his response. And then I'll come and let you know his response. More than that, Jonathan says, uh, I make a vow to warn you of my father's evil intent. Basically, I make a vow to acknowledge the evil in my father's life, the king of Israel, and to preserve the real king, to protect the real king. I'll break relationship with my dad the evil king of Israel, because God has chosen you and because you and I are in covenant relationship and I want to protect you. And if I don't do this, God can kill me or you can kill me. That's the vow Jonathan makes. So David hides. Jonathan goes to the party. It's the second day. And uh, Saul looks around. He goes, where's David? And Jonathan says, well, he wanted to go with his family in Bethlehem, offer sacrifices. Saul is enraged. Saul says, don't I know that you have made a vow to David, my enemy? And he tells Jonathan off, basically says, you're a betrayer. You've betrayed your family, and you've betrayed your mother, and you've betrayed me, which Jonathan had by honoring David as king. And Saul calls him on it. Jonathan doesn't even fight his dad on this point. He doesn't disagree him. Jonathan isn't trying to save his dignity. What does he stand up and do? He defends David. He says, what has your servant done to you to deserve this? Bold. To stand up to your dad and to the king of Israel and to, to, you know, wear that insult. Not think about your honor, but think about your friend's honor. That's covenant relationship. And so he defends David's honor. And then he goes out into the field and they had this really, I read it a few times in different versions, I couldn't figure it out, but they had this really elaborate scheme where uh, they got a servant boy to shoot three arrows, and if it was to the left, you were safe, if it was to the right, you weren't safe. I don't know why they just couldn't have met in a field at dark, but uh, there was this whole arrow thing, and uh, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And uh, so they shoot the arrows, and David knows, because it's the right of the rock, that he's got to come out when it's dark, and they send the servant boy away. And so uh, Jonathan says, my dad is actually trying to kill you. What, what has happened in Jonathan's heart? Jonathan already has acknowledged David as king and made a covenant relationship before God with him as God-honoring men. But now in public, in front of his dad, he's shown which side he's picked. This wasn't a private affair of the heart. See, the first vow was a private covenant between David and Jonathan. This is a public covenant. Jonathan says to his dad, the king of Israel, you are evil, you are wicked. David will be the next king. I'm picking sides. Wow. And he risks his life. And so he meets up with David He tells David, you're not safe. 
What does David do? He bows three times. He bows three times, and they hug, and they weep. David weeps harder. Why are they weeping? Well, they're weeping because they have to part. These are best friends. These are two men of righteous character in covenant relationship, and now they have to separate. It's heartbreaking. Jonathan risked life and now public uh, disowning (coughs) and defended his friend's honor. He was publicly shamed because he honored God and wanted to protect God's people and God's chosen. And David, being a humble, honorable man, bows three times to Jonathan. Look at the humility. Look at the vulnerability. Defending one another's honor. Honoring God. This is covenant relationship with God and his people. Powerful stuff. Third and final journey David makes is uh, to the priest, um, Ahimelech. Now it says, uh, chapter 22, verses 20 to 23. But one a son of Ahimelech, son of uh, Atab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, the day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would sure t- surely tell Saul, I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. You stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is the man who's trying to kill me. Stay with me. You will be safe. So I mentioned it earlier, but I'll just say it again. In his travels, David goes to the priest, Ahimelech. And when he meets Ahimelech, Ahimelech says, what are you doing here? I I wasn't notified of your arrival. And David says, "Uh, oh, I'm just on a mission from Saul. And he says, but my men need a place to sleep and some water to drink and some bread to eat. So the priest says, are you all clean? And David says, yes, we're clean. And so they receive their refuge. There's a man named Doeg uh, among the priests. And he bears witness to all this. And then he tells Saul. So um, Saul summons Ahimelech. And Saul says, what are you doing making a vow with my enemy? And Ahimelech says, I don't know what's going on between you and David. And it's true. David didn't tell Ahimelech that Saul and him were having a bit of a falling out, you know. Uh, he didn't tell him that. He was, he was, he was uh, guarding Saul's honor. Listen to that. Was he slandering Saul to Ahimelech? No. Was he gossiping? No. Was he plotting and brooding and drinking? And No. He covered Saul. He honored Saul, his enemy, by not telling Ahimelech what was going on. And then Ahimelech is called forward, and Saul says, I know you've made a pact. Ahimelech says, I don't know what's going on. But Ahimelech, like Jonathan, stands up and defends David's honor. What are you doing to your most faithful servant? What has he possibly done? But Saul is full of envy and bitterness and strife and hatred. So he orders Doeg to kill Ahimelech. Sixty of Ahimelech's priests and the entire town of Nob. Men, women, children, cattle. Gone. The only one who survives is Abiathar. And he catches up with David on his way to Judah. And David learns of this. 
So now David's enemy has now destroyed God's people and a whole town. It's, it's Saul's wickedness that destroyed these men. But don't you think David's feeling just a little guilty? I saw Doeg. I know he was a servant of Saul. That day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. You stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. So this, this is ridiculous. Not only does David find refuge in yet another covenant relationship where someone is willing to blindly defend his honor, but that friend is killed and murdered and the whole town is destroyed and David's feeling responsible because the only son survives. And what does David do? What does David do while he's on the run, fearing for his life, hoping for refuge? He says, I'll give you refuge. What refuge does David have to give? He doesn't know where he'll sleep. He doesn't know what he'll eat. He's just going from friend to friend to friend. And every time Saul's right on his tail... Here is what David is offering uh, Abiathar. It's the only thing that saved David. Honoring God and protecting his people. It's the only refuge David has ever had. As David says, hold on a moment. I have decided not to dishonor God's chosen Saul. I will not lift a finger against him. I won't even slander his name, and he's trying to kill me. And now his evil has destroyed your life. Look, all I've got is the fear of the Lord and covenant relationship with his people. I offer you the same thing. There's this really interesting thing about living in God's kingdom is you give what you want to get. You want refuge, you give refuge away. But you're not giving people a hope and a wish. You're not giving them fingers crossed. You're giving them a heart that has settled that I will honor God first and foremost. I will even honor my enemies. And in covenant relationship, I will protect his people. There is no greater refuge. David is not offering Abiathar <laughs> wishfulness. David is offering Abiathar the only thing that gave David refuge. On the run. Not wondering which friend next will give him refuge, defend his honor, and possibly die for that. <clears throat> so, like, you know, what do you think we're doing here? Like, do we have communities and D groups because those save people? No. 
We have communities and we have D groups so that you can enter into covenant relationship and you can find refuge. We're just an odd assortment of people and don't on the outside have a lot in common, but we have the most important thing in common, the spirit of God. Jesus Christ is king. He is the head of his body and we have settled in our hearts to honor him. And so we have the best thing in common. We have the greatest thing in common. We honor God. I, I underestimate communities and D groups all the time, especially community. You can ask Tara. Tara loves parties. Uh, my idea of a party is uh, in my office with a little lamp, some piano music pouring over a historical document. <laughs> Whoa. Right? So <laughs> that's my idea of a good time. Alone, slightly cold, just a cool basement, and reading some speeches from a long time ago. You know, Tara goes, it's community. And I go, yeah. So if you're in my community, I love you. I enjoy being with you. This is not commentary on you. I'm just, I underestimate community. I need community. I don't need a party, but I do need you. I can't honor God without you. Like, are we just having parties to have parties? No, I don't want parties. Like, I need you. I want you. I can't honor God without you. So join a community. Go to that community's D group. Come under people's pastoral care and protection. Enter into covenant relationship and serve God first. Um, if you don't know God, if you haven't surrendered to God as king, look at what Jonathan does to David. Jonathan um, hands over his armor. Jonathan hands over his clothing. And he bows and he says, you protect me. God is your refuge. A God-honoring relationship with your refuge does not make God a hired hand. Does not make God your buddy. It makes him your king. And you hand over your weapons and your talents and your skills and your materials. And you bow before your king. And you say, if I'm going to find refuge anywhere, it is in you. And you settle in your heart. Church, will you settle in your heart? that you honor God first above all else. Because you can't honor God's people, you can't protect God's people unless you honor God and receive his protection first. You can't love better than God. You can't care about justice more. You can't give mercy more. You can't sympathize better. You can't empathize better than God. Jesus is David the best king. Jesus is the best disciple, the faithful citizen of Israel. And what did Jonathan say to David, the Christ-like figure? One day, God's going to come and destroy all your enemies. Don't count me as one of them. Count me as a friend. Let my family live. Jesus is coming back as king. And 
it's uh, more fun to think about and want to be like Jesus uh, in the New Testament. He's holy, he's righteous, but very sacrificial. We might be getting to the point of the story where Jesus comes back in a pure white robe dipped in blood with a sword coming out of his mouth to destroy his enemies, and you and I might go, ooh, I'm not sure I want to be like Jesus in this part of the story. There is no refuge, no refuge, unless you honor the Jesus that saves and you honor the Jesus that is Lord, and he is coming back to be king because he's promised to be king, and he will be king, and I do not want to be counted as one of his enemies. And how do I know that I'm not counted on one of his enemies? I've settled in my heart that I honor him in a covenant relationship. I go, I go and I make covenant relationship with his people because we have something in common, his spirit. And then, and then I go out into the world and I find my Abiathar's. And I give what I want to get. I meet people who haven't tasted of God's goodness. Who don't know they have a king to give them refuge. And a savior to understand their pain. And I give them a taste of the refuge God has given me. And sometimes they reject it. And sometimes they receive it. And when you take that risk, sometimes you suffer for it. But you can suffer for it. Because you know that God is your refuge. Not your circumstance. You honor God. You honor and protect his people. Then you go out into the world and you give it away recklessly to those who have no idea that Jesus understands their pain and he's coming back as king to kill his enemies. And you settle that in your heart. And you know you are not one of God's enemies. Worship team, will you come up? I, I, I want to read this verse again. It's, it's David speaking to Abiathar. But church, it's the Spirit of God speaking to you. And uh, please receive it. David says to Abiathar, God says to you, stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you, church, is trying to kill me. You will be safe with me. Do you believe that? Have you settled that in your soul? Are you motivated to honor God first and foremost? It's the only way you'll be motivated and empowered to honor and protect his people. And it's the only reason you'll risk giving it to a world who's trying to kill your king. Like, like, do you get that's what's going on right now? Like, it's not getting easier to be a Christian. I, we, I work in a public high school. It's just not getting easier. But the real threat is not the existential one. The real threat is the envy, the bitterness, the strife, the lust, the anger, the things that destroy this relationship and this relationship. That's what we're about in this church. Will you join me 
in serving and loving this city, providing it the refuge it desperately wants, and running to God and one another and honoring Him together. Oh, 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 oh